0: A podcast one production. Vision Lakiani is an entrepreneur, author, and activist on a mission to raise human consciousness. He founded Mind Valley in 2003 with the goal of bringing together the world's top educators under one platform to usher in a new era for humanity that is more empowered, connected, and collaborative than the status quo. Vision says, the human species is capable of extraordinary things. More than any other species, we have a breathtaking ability to grow, create, explore, love and solve challenges. The key to awakening this potential is unity. What follows is a conversation about educating people for success and human flourishing, bending reality through goal setting and thinking big to change your life.
1: I went from teaching a tiny little class at the Holiday Inn to 20 people, to being able to launch my own transformational festival in two years. Today, I know that every time I'm doing something, I ask myself, am I really thinking as bold as I can? Or am I falling into complacency? And I think it's an important question that everyone has to ask themselves.
0: I'm Sarah Grimberg, And this is a life of greatness. Working as a podcast and radio producer, I have been fortunate enough to cross paths with many intriguing people who have had a profound impact on me. In this series, I share stories and experiences from the people who have brought inspiration to my life and hopefully yours too vision Lakiani is a New York Times and Amazon best-selling author of the code for the extraordinary mind which challenges you to reject the inherited rules that hold you back from succeeding earning loving healing and growing to your fullest potential I started by asking vision how he went from humble beginnings to owning one of the biggest tech businesses in the world the unique
1: thing about my family is that my Parents went to British schools because back when they were when when they were being educated, Malaysia was a British colony. So I grew up with a lot of British habits, probably just like you. For example, we were tea drinkers, not coffee, but tea. English is the only language I speak. In the eighties, my favorite shows were all the best BBC shows, like Mind Your Language. And then in the nineties, Americanization swept Malaysia. Um, cable television came in. And that's when I shifted my orientation and even my accent. And I moved to the US and I became a little bit more American. So I did grow up in a household with Indian influences, but my parents raised me to be extremely open-minded. And from the time I was young, I was encouraged to question everything.
0: What sort of things would they tell you to question?
1: I remember the day the first McDonald's opened in Malaysia, right? They were running all of these ads. It must have been like 19... 87 or 88. And all of these ads were about the incredible, delicious McDonald's beef burger. Now, growing up in a Hindu family, you aren't allowed to eat beef. But I really, really, really wanted to taste that beef burger. Like, Based on the advertising, to my my 10-year-old mind, it was probably going to be the most incredible thing I would ever put in my mouth. So, I went to my mom and I said, well, why can't I eat beef? And my parents who, and, and, you know, it was so brilliant that they did this. My mom said, well, it's because we come from a cultural tradition where people don't eat beef. And I said, well, it doesn't make any sense. Other people are allowed to be- eat beef. And so my mom said, well, why don't you research it and figure it out? Now, back then there was no internet, but I did have access to the Encyclopedia Britannica. I researched as, as a 10 year old, went back to my mom and I said, listen, mom, I think I understand why we don't eat beef. Cows in India were incredibly useful. They had these beautiful eyes. They you could milk them. You could um, use them to plow the fields. And so it probably wasn't a good idea to eat your cow when you could eat a chicken or a goat or a less useless animal. But given we don't have a cow, last I checked, we have a dog. I think I should be allowed to eat beef. And so my mom said yes, and she allowed me. And that was when I learned the ability to question. It was so good that my parents didn't impose their beliefs on me. They allowed me to question. I continued questioning. At the age of 19, I went to my dad and I said, Dad, this religion thing doesn't make any sense to me. Why am I a Hindu? There are billions of people in the world, billions of Hindus, over a billion Hindus, over a billion Muslims, over a billion Christians. Not everyone can be right. So I'm no longer going to call myself a Hindu because as soon as I give myself that label, I'm saying I'm different from everyone else. I'm going to create my own religion by picking and choosing the best practices of all religions out there and creating my own beliefs. And of course, my dad was a little bit nervous about that, but that's been my approach to life. I refuse to put myself in a box. I refuse to think that everything is black or white. I refuse to abide by these simplistic laws of the world, which are designed to keep us safe and to protect us from a world of complexity. I like to look at the complexity. I like to connect the dots. I like to create my own ways of health, of living, of relationships, of religion, of spirituality, of being an adult in this this incredible world but it all came from the freedom that my parents gave me as a child to question everything.
0: That's unbelievable and it's such an amazing thing to grow up with and especially in a household like that and obviously it's made you the person who you are today. What did you go on to do after you finished school?
1: So after I graduated as a computer engineer from the University of Michigan I joined a nonprofit. And again this was my my, my thing about questioning while I was in university, I became one of the 1% of computer engineers in the United States to get the coveted Microsoft internship. So I got to join Microsoft in 1998. Wow. Back then, Microsoft was like joining Apple today. And you know, it was such an incredible company. Bill Gates invited us all to his home. He was serving us burgers, barbecue burgers, which I could now eat because I could eat beef and, uh, I should have been so blessed to be there. Like my entire life, five years studying computer programming got me to where I needed to be working for Microsoft. But I realized I was bored out of my mind. I realized that I had been pursuing the wrong career. And so I decided to quit. I quit Microsoft 11 weeks in and I decided to figure my life out and I joined a nonprofit. And so I gave up my lucrative job in Microsoft to join a nonprofit because the values of this profit, it was called, this, of this nonprofit was called ISAC, A I E S E C. Um, they focused on cross cultural um, mm. um, exchanges between students. It resonated with me. I decided to join ISAC, and that was my very first job.
0: What, I mean, that's quite courageous doing that. So obviously, you get this amazing job at Microsoft that you said not many people are able to get. And then you decide your board, which I think a lot of people, unfortunately, would find themselves in. It. But what was it in you that said, I'm just going to go into the unknown and I'm going to take this other opportunity, even though I've got something here that is obviously very prestigious and, um, you know, I'm sure you're earning decent money.
1: Right. Well, it it was a couple of things. Number one, and I knew it even when I was young, when I was 22 or 23, when I got my first job, I refuse to be the kind of person who would wake up every day miserable mm. because they were doing their job for a freaking paycheck. Yes. I wanted to wake up every day, excited to go to work. I put passion, mission, and all the feelings you get when you're doing something that resonates with your soul before the paycheck or the title. I think the world today, we We create broken adults. Mm. We create a world where so many people wake up one day at the age of 40 going, how did I get here? Mm. Because they were conned by the education system to believe that life was simply about your salary, your title, and the amount in your bank account. I decided that I wanted life to be about travel, adventure, discovery, passion, meaning, doing good in the world. And that's why I decided to work for for you know, really meager money for a nonprofit in New York. But through that, I had some of the most incredible experiences in my life. And that continued to where I am right now. I'm not compromising. I want it all. And I look at life in true multi-dimensions. I want great salary. I want a work that gives me meaning. I want incredible coworkers. I want the beautiful office. I want the ability to travel. I want to change the world. You can't have it all. The thing is, most of us believe that we have to choose. So, I believe in looking at life from a 360 perspective, being very deliberate with my goals and going beyond the traditional BS goals that societal programming says are most important to us.
0: That's an amazing outlook on life in general. And also, you know, you obviously, that's been your mission and you haven't stopped for a second and look what you've achieved. How did you go? I know that you had a very, uh, you know, you had a very pinnacle encounter with Bob Proctor. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that changed your life whilst you're on this journey?
1: Well, let's, yes. So, let's expand on the last idea, right? So, the last idea was that you need to look at your life from a 360 perspective. Mm. You don't just set goals based on your career and your money. You set goals for things such as your emotional states like how do you want to feel on a day-to-day basis your love relationships your human experiences do you have the freedom to travel to to have enough vacation time goals for your health your fitness your mindfulness your spirituality and your money and your career now in 2008 i found myself in an interesting position mind Valley was a small company i think we had about maybe 18 18 people yeah. we were doing we we were doing decent money but not great money it was kind of like just just stagnating. I was teaching meditation. I was also helping teachers, authors build their websites because I was a computer programmer. Now, one day, I was in London teaching a class, and Bob Proctor, who was one of my clients, I'd helped him with his website. So, you know, he was this incredible guy. His business was booming. He'd just been on the movie, The Secret. He was so in demand, speaking all around the world. And I was so honored that he had asked me to help him with his back end website, the coding, the programming. So when he knew I was in London, he said, Hey, Vision, why don't you come join me for lunch? So I joined him for lunch and he said, hey, Vision, what brings you here? And I said, well, Bob, well, I'm here you're going to be so proud of me. I no longer just build websites. I actually teach. And he goes, that's fantastic. How many people do you have in your class? And I said, 30. Mm. And he goes, well, that's kind of small. What are they paying you? And I, <laughs> and I, and I mentioned a really, really tiny number. And he said, so let me, let me put this straight. So you've flown all the way to London and you're going to make 2 to $3,000. And I go, yeah, isn't that amazing? And I love what I do. And he goes, "Vision, that isn't enough. I hope you flew business class. And my face said, because I knew I was flying coach. So I said, no, Bob, I I flew coach. Bob said, how many hours did you spend in the plane? I said, 22 hours. He's like, how many hours are you going to spend flying back? I'm like, 22 hours. I couldn't afford the direct flight. (laughs) And Bob said, vision, vision, vision. Son, you got to think bigger. You're telling me you left your wife, you left your one-year-old son for five days, flying 22 hours coach to teach just 30 people for two to three grand. How are you ever going to achieve anything big when you dream so small? And in my mind, I was thinking, thank you, Bob Proctor. How did you tell me that I don't have my shit in control? It was denial, denial, denial. I was like, damn you, Bob Proctor, with your fancy suits and your slick hair and your awesome voice and your freaking amazing cologne smell. You don't tell me what to do. But of course, none of that came out. I simply took it all in finished the lunch. I taught my class Saturday and Sunday. And on Monday, I quit. I've been doing it for five years. I was so proud of what I did, but I quit. Immediately, I quit because I knew that sometimes in life, you got to destroy what is merely good to let something great enter.
0: Mm.
1: Today, in my book, I call that concept, the beautiful destruction, destroy something that's merely good to make space for what can be great. And Bob Proctor was right. Now I went home that day, I got on Facebook and I decided to change my Facebook about page to add a quote by Bob Proctor. And the quote was this, and it's now been 11 years. It's the same quote on my Facebook page. You can check it out. It simply yes. says, ask not, am I worthy of my goals? Ask, are your goals worthy of you?
0: That's and amazing. so I thought,
1: what is it that I should be doing? Well, I went back to build up my business and. Two years later, I launched my next seminar, and my next seminar was at a whole different level. It was like comparing a bicycle to a Ferrari. My next seminar was A-Fest, and you can still go to afest.com, afest.com and see. It's this massive event. The world's best speakers come down. It happens in five-star hotels. I'm the host. I'm a speaker. And entrepreneurs from all around the world apply just to get the right to buy a ticket. and. I went from teaching a tiny little class at the Holiday Inn to 20 people to being able to launch my own transformational festival in two years because Bob Proctor gave me the massive kick on my butt that I needed. Today, I know that every time I'm doing something, I ask myself, am I really thinking as bold as I can or am I falling into complacency? And I think it's an important question that everyone has to ask themselves.
0: I agree. And how did you go from speaking to Bob Proctor to in that two years, having, you know, everything being so big and doing so well? What were the steps that you took?
1: Well, often the steps have to do with going deep within and Mm. identifying what you really want in life. A lot of us set really superficial goals. Now, the approach now... After Bob Proctor, this was 2008, in 2009, I was lucky enough to stumble upon Lifebook. Lifebook is the world's most advanced goal setting program. And today, Mind Valley, my company, just full disclosure, we run Lifebook. Uh, We're the the sole exclusive team that runs Lifebook. And the founder of Lifebook uh, is, is a dear friend. So I took Lifebook in 2009. And what Lifebook makes you do is it makes you look at your life from 12 different categories. And in each category, you spend hours going really, really, really deep. For example, let's look at um, love relationships. Yes, you would go really deep to identify what is your vision for an ideal relationship. Then you'd look at what are your beliefs about love, and you'd really analyze those beliefs because so many of us grow up and take on BS beliefs about love, beliefs such as relationships are ultimately going to hurt you, or beliefs such as all men cheat, mm. right? So we look at first your vision, then your beliefs. Then you look at your why. Why is it that you want that vision? Is it because you want to someday wake up every day next to someone who truly makes your heart sing to have children with that person? Is it because you no longer want to be lonely? And the fourth thing is you then look at your strategy. Great. You're single. You want to be with someone. What's your plan? Are you going to learn? You know, are you gonna learn how to develop your confidence? Are you gonna maybe go for some classes on on dating skills? All those things exist. Mm. So you look at every aspect of your life, twelve different aspects, in depth. Now, as I did life book, I started writing things down, and I wrote down things such as this. I want to be able to share the stage with the world's most amazing speakers. I want to be able to stay in five-star hotels around the world in paradise locations and have my children with me. I want to be able, and I don't know where this came from, it was kind yeah. of weird, but I liked it. I want to be able to toss the most incredible parties in places like the Mediterranean and Ugh, the Caribbean. Who doesn't want to do that? And, and, and Greece. I want to have an incredible tribe of, of wonderful, inspiring friends from all around the world. Now, what was funny is that was 2009. In 2010, all of those things started coming together. And I believe what was going on is that when you give your mind mm. these type of goals, there's something going on in the back. It could be a subconscious, yes, it could subconscious. be higher intelligence. We can't explain it, mm. but things started happening, synchronicities, coincidences, the right connections. And I ended up starting a festival called AFest.
0: Can you tell us a bit about a Because I've seen so, so much hoo-ha absolutely. about this and it looks amazing. Yeah.
1: So, so it was now 18 months after Lifebook. And here I was in a five-star resort in Costa Rica. 250 entrepreneurs came to, and they became my tribe. So many incredible speakers such as Chip Conley of Airbnb fame, Lisa Nichols came to speak. And I was on stage with them. Everything I put down in my life book just manifested, but it didn't manifest in a way that I expected it to. It came through ideas and goals and dreams sort of like merging together and this whole new vision of possibility in my life erupting from it. They always say
0: that about manifesting though, like... You know, I do it a lot, and things always turn up, but they will they will not turn up exactly how you think that they will. And that's the beauty wow. of it.
1: Right, because your mind is limited. Your mind is limited by what it knows. yeah, your brain rather is limited by what it knows. But when you're able to tap into your intuitive mind and give it instructions, and again, we don't fully know how this works, but you get ideas, visions, insights, inspiration beyond what you logically know. And often these are breadcrumbs to your destiny. Yes. And that was what I felt happened to me.
0: So take us through now what is, with A-Fest, how has that expanded?
1: Well, so AFES um, went really well. Three years later in 2013, we decided to expand it. We were doing two a year. And in 2016, we decided to expand AFES to create a university. So many incredible people were coming to AFES for five days, yep. bonding so deeply that I asked myself, well, what if we did this for a month? What would that look like? So I decided to see if I could start a unique type of summer program where people ranging from adults to kindergartners, to uh, preschoolers, to teenagers, to young college kids can come together for one month in an intentional community. We picked Barcelona. Yeah. We found this incredible co-working space with, um, with an auditorium where people could deliver talks and 300 people showed up. I put up a post on Facebook. It was all done really ghetto style. I put up a post on Facebook and I said, look, I'm committing to moving to a city for one month with my kids every year And I don't want to just live in that city and be alone. I want a community to come with me. We're going to arrange talks. We're going to arrange social events. We're going to arrange gatherings. We're going to go for dinner together. We're going to go explore the city. And all of us are going to co-create this Burning Man style. 300 people replied. Actually, 1,000 people commented. 300 showed up in Barcelona. The next year, we did it in Tallinn, Estonia. This time, we had a bigger budget. 1,000 people showed up. Then we did it in Croatia. Another 1,000 people. It's now happening in Amsterdam. Now, I don't do these events for money. These events are like 1% of Mindvalley. Mindvalley is primarily an online company. Yeah. And, and we sell the world's best transformational programs by a long shot. No one even remotely comes close. So we do incredible amounts of revenue online. But I do these events like AFS and Mindvalley U because this is where I meet my closest friends in the world. And they are so much, so damn fun.
0: What kind of, like, what do you do when you're there? What would a person expect to learn? What are the sort of speakers that you get?
1: Well, at Nine Valley University, what uh, you would wake up in the morning, um, you might go for breakfast with other community members. We typically pick really interesting cities. You might, or you might go for a yoga class or a meditation class. There are hundreds of tribe run activities happening all across the city. Oh, sounds amazing. And, and from 10 to 12, they are speakers, like often really incredible speakers, world-class speakers that show up, that we fly in to deliver workshops and talks. 12 to two is lunch and lunch is a really special time there because it's where people get to go back to their regular work, uh, catch up. A lot of people today can work anywhere in the world, but also we have co-working spaces so people can connect as a community. Two to four is another incredible workshop or speaker. There are workshops on everything, mastering social media, Leadership skills, public speaking, scaling up a business, Reiki healing—it's so 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 fast. But in the average Mindvalley University, there'll be three hundred to five hundred micro events happening, and then of course in the evenings there are beautiful meetups on the beach, bonfires, and sometimes we toss the most insanely epic parties. We started the last Mindvalley University in Pula, Croatia, by renting the world's most well-preserved ancient Roman coliseum i think
0: i saw pictures uh, of that
1: yeah it was huge it was it was the world's most well preserved um, roman amphitheater we rented the entire thing for our community and tossed the most elaborate crazy toga party you could imagine
0: that's fantastic what what sort of ages do you have to be to go to this
1: um are classes for three and above
0: three and above
1: yeah, so there's there's what, actually what, kindergarten there too.
0: What kind of classes are you throwing for kindergarten kids?
1: Well, we work we work with a variety of different um, educators mm. from around the world. And we have some incredible teachers. Uh, these are award-winning educators. Uh, they come down and they run the programs for us. So when it comes to the kindergartners, when it comes to uh, kids from 6 to 10 and then 11 to 18, we work with world-class Um, experts who already run their own schools or their own summer education programs. We bring them together. And then everything else is for the adults. But what's really good about Mind Valley University is if you're an adult, this is one of the first events that you can attend with your children. And at every party, every social, every meetup, kids are everywhere. And the kids are so well-behaved. And and I believe that kids add add a beautiful energy. So we'll have... So, for example, when we did the closing for Valley University in, in uh, Tallinn, Estonia, we rented Europe's finest seaplane harbor museum, actually uh, Europe's finest maritime museum. It's called the Seaplane Harbor Museum in Tallinn. Everyone came dressed as pirates. It was the most incredible pirate party in this ridiculous space. Um, and you have adults and you have kids all dressed as pirates dancing and singing and playing together until 2 a.m. and I think it's one of the most incredible things you can do as a parent because your children experience the real world and they experience the real world with people who think out of the box. They grow up without the limitations which a traditional education program can place on them. I did this for my kids. If no one else showed up, I'd still be doing this with Hayden and Eve.
0: I know kids is a big thing, and I, this is what I love about you so much, like you include children in everything you do. Where where does that come from? Because that's not often a common thing.
1: Well, so what's really funny, right, is that at a certain point in my life, I realized that I was making a big mistake as a dad. See, for almost every part of my life, whether it's starting a business or it is health or wellness or meditation, I would read tons of books. I would mm. get the best mentors. But when it came to parenting, I realized, I just assumed I knew I knew it all. And I realized everything I know came from my parents who got it from their parents, who got it from their parents, who got it from their parents, who got it from, parents, got it from the era and the epoch and that part of history that they were living in.
0: Which is the so world common. Is
1: completely, the world has completely changed. Yes. And I realized that I was screwing up my kids. One day, I, I for example, decided to enroll my kid in a really great kindergarten, run on on, on very, let, let's just say, Asian styles of parenting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Very discipline-focused, in other words. And I thought, you know, this is great for the kid. He's going to learn how to study hard. He's going to learn discipline. And Hayden shared a story with me. He must have been... Five or six, basically, they served him some food he didn't like. And it made him feel like he needed to puke. But he was so afraid to puke on his plate because he knew the teacher was going to discipline him or admonish him. So he decided to puke in his mouth and swallow his own puke. When he told me that,
0: that's awful.
1: I was devastated. Yeah, that's really sad. What the hell am I doing to my kid? I pulled him out of that kindergarten. And it's I funny how we that. have
0: these pinnacle moments that we're like, okay, this has got to change.
1: Mm-hmm. And I started studying the concepts of conscious parenting by Shafali Sabari. And by the way, again, full disclosure, every time I find a personal growth program that I like, I just acquire it or bring it into Mind Valley or do a deal with the author. So the-
0: the yeah, she, I've seen she does work with you, <laughs> yeah. but she's amazing. So, so, world, so that's, yeah, that's So, fine. so now works with yeah. me, but I
1: studied her work first and it completely transformed my relationship with my kids. My kids no longer have discipline issues. In fact, the idea of discipline just doesn't exist in our world. The idea of bad behavior just doesn't exist. The kids are just children. We play together. We, 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 we are close together. We are deeply close. But there's no such thing as discipline. I realized that, like many parents, I was raising my kids to be mini versions of me so that they would do everything that I wish I had done when I was a kid. Mm. I wish I'd learned to play the piano. I wish I'd gotten a black belt in Aikido. And so many parents do that. They are imposing their dreams on their children. My kids get to do anything they want. If they don't want to go to school, you know, we'll have a conversation about it, but they make that final decision. My son wants to go to bed a little bit later than bedtime. He makes that final decision. And by giving them that power, they actually grow to trust their own voice, to believe in themselves, and they make the right decision. For example, once Hayden really wanted to stay up and watch TV, Mm well past his bedtime. But I allowed him to make the decision. I simply shared with him some data on sleep and how children need a certain amount of sleep for them to function well in school. And I said, look, if you stay up, odds are when you go to school tomorrow, you're going to experience this drop in cognition. You're going to feel a little bit sleepy. You might feel a little bit groggy. You might not do as well in PE. So you decide. And he said, you know, Dad, you're right. Just give me 15 more minutes. And that was it. Now, I never have to worry about his bedtime. It's now been five years. He always makes his his own decision when it's time to sleep. And discipline disappears when we give a kid trust. What I learned from studying parenting so well is that the parent's biggest job is really two things. Number one, keep your kids safe, right? Keep them safe from harm and danger. And number two, protect their beliefs. Most parents accidentally implant dangerous beliefs on their kids. They make the kids doubt themselves. They make the kids feel unloved. We do all of these bullshit tricks that we learned from our parents, mm. such as, look at me when I talk to you. Hey, are you listening to me? Go stand in that corner. All of those damage a child. A, style, a child who is sent to a corner, for example, mm. that's one of the most dumb things you can do as a parent.
0: I know, and there's so many, so many people that I've interviewed who are you know, neuroscientists and heads of epigenetics have all said the same thing.
1: What you got to do is you got to keep your child safe. That's number one. Number two, you got to protect their beliefs. Yeah. So if your child's in the corner, think about the beliefs he's forming. I'm here because mom doesn't like having me around. I'm here because mom thinks I'm a bad person. Therefore, I am a bad person. I'm here because I failed. I'm here because mom doesn't love me anymore. We got to protect the belief. So here's an example. Once I was driving my son somewhere. He was on he, he he was on the passenger seat, and he asked me a question. And at that time, my CFO from Silicon Valley calls, and I know when my CFO calls, shit has gone wrong. Yeah. So I got to take the call. So yeah. I pick up the phone, and I'm like, um, hey, what's up? And then I realized I never bothered to answer Hayden's question. Immediately, I realized this belief rule. So I turned to Hayden and I said, Hayden. Your question is so important to me. And I love spending time with you and and answering these questions because I learned too. But Omesh called and I got to take this call because something may have broken um, with part of our business. Give me two minutes and I'm going to get right back to you because it's Saturday and it's our time. And now you see the difference there. Yeah, that's a beautiful way of putting it. Right. Because I'm watching for his beliefs. But if I just taken that call, then I don't know what beliefs he might create. Dad, doesn't listen to me therefore I'm not important dad's work is more important therefore work is more important in life than family
0: do you spend a lot of time with your kids
1: it's not about coming home and deciding you're going to spend two hours with your kids it's about when you are with them mm. what are you doing how deep are you going how much love are you expressing are you trying to control them or are you trying to be with them
0: yes no Those are the I that agree with you as well I mean I I I'm in a similar situation, and I think it is. It's quality time, um, not the quantity of time that you spend with them. Tell us now the huge, amazing Mind Valley. Take us through what that is.
1: Okay. So, what Mind Valley is, is a platform for human transformation. Our education system is woefully inadequate. And in an age of smartphones, our education is getting more and more irrelevant every single month. For example, so, Gitra Mitra, who won the, the TED Prize for education, said, schools might as well just stop teaching things such as math and spelling. Why? Because we have a cell phone that does that for us. So, then why? Sh- what should schools teach us? Well how to tap into our intuition, how to be truly creative, how to pursue our passion, how to live a balanced life, how to deal with stress and anxiety and fears, how to be compassionate to one another. The list can go on and on and on and on and on. Yes. But because our schools left this out, many of us grow up and go into adulthood without learning the things that truly lead to a truly rich, beautiful human life. What Mind Valley does, is we fill in those gaps. Our programs, so in every single category of human life, we find the single best teacher, and we put in a quarter million dollars and produce the highest quality program in that field. We put it on our platform, Mind Valley Quest, which has five times better completion rates than traditional online courses, and we deliver it to people who are ready to learn. So our programs help you with a multitude of different things that essentially make you superhuman. For example, this month, we launched a program on speed reading with Jim Quick. Mm. And this program helps you triple your reading speed. Think about that. If you can take in three times as much information from a book and understand it better, think about what that does to your life. Another program that we're coming up with is something called Conscious Uncoupling. And this program is basically on how to help people go through divorce Mm. or how to help people go through the end of a relationship in the most conscious way. So you stay friends, you don't damage the kids, and you are fully conscious of what you need to learn. So when you go to your next relationship, you thrive.
0: How do you and come up with the ideas of of what um, what to teach? Because these well, are all fabulous. I was
1: giving you I was giving you examples, but we look at what are making waves in the world today, what are people truly demanding? Yeah. And we, we look at the teachers who are who who are getting a lot of attention. For example, Jim Quick is so huge right now. And um, we Jim is the number one teacher. When Jim started working with us, we just grew his brand like crazy. Um, But we started working with Jim because Jim was the guy training... Hollywood stars, mm. trading Elon Musk, um, Bill Gates, all of these people. We started working with Catherine Woodward Thomas and Conscious Uncoupling because her book is so beautiful. It helped me when I went through my divorce. Mm. And you know, this was the this was the methodology that Gwyneth Paltrow popularized when she yes. uncoupled. And then we have developed thus far thirty. Truly powerful programs, and um, and the best part is this is the world's best education, and it's available to people for a relatively low price. Each program is like two to three hundred bucks, mm-hmm. and you go through them in thirty days with a tribe of one thousand people. Everyone starts together and That's finishes great. together, and logs in for twenty minutes a day. So it's twenty minutes of learning every single day.
0: You have written a fabulous book called The Code of the Extraordinary Mind and – the lovely lady Bianca the 19 year old who just won the US Open she actually quoted your book because she absolutely loved it and she has done a she was a graduate from one of your courses Life. tell me a little bit about that book that you've written oh my
1: god yes so that what, what you're referring to is was all over the news I, I was so it was on Yahoo it was on Fox News so Bianca Andrescu 19 years old um, she is a Mind Valley student she attended mm. one of my meditation classes I don't teach these classes anymore we have facilitators but she attended class in Toronto one year ago. She, at 19, beat Serena Williams in the U.S. Open, and she said she'd been practicing spirituality and personal growth since the age of 16. And the coolest part wow. is, and I'm, and I'm still mind-blown that this happened, after she won the U.S. Open, um, a group of reporters asked her, you know, like, like what do you do? What's your self-improvement? And she says, pass me my phone, pass me my phone. She pulls up my book and she shows it to them, and it was all over the news. That's amazing. So, We never go out there. I work with a lot of celebrities. I never go out there and ask for testimonials. The testimonials you see are these celebrities who on their own mention my book or my work to the press. So Bianca was last week.
0: What What do you cover in that book?
1: So The Code of the Extraordinary Mind talks about 10 different laws or principles that you can adopt into your life. These are beliefs that you put in to your being. Yes. That elevate you in terms of what how you experience life. So, as I said, as we grow up, education doesn't really teach us much of what is useful. And bad parenting, society, media, bad teachers often impose false beliefs in us. The Code of the Extraordinary Mind looks at 10 beliefs and true storytelling and interesting anecdotes and, and techniques and ideas I layer on these 10 beliefs into someone's
0: mind. And these, you've got something that you call brawls, which is the bullshit rules. How right. did you come up with this?
1: Well, brules is a key concept in the Code of the Extraordinary Mind. We talk about how the world today is filled with, actually, Let me backtrack. We talk about how human beings exist in two worlds. Mm. One is the physical world. This desk is solid and I'm knocking it right now. The second is the world of ideas. And the world of ideas is made up of rituals, beliefs, common misconceptions, and shared thoughts that our society and our culture impose onto us. But from the time we are born, we are living in both worlds. Now, the problem with the world of ideas, the world of the cognition plane, is that much of what we think is true is not absolute truth. It's relative truth. It's only true for our neighborhood or our culture or our religion or Mm. our people. And the world is so much wider. So I teach the fact that the rules that we think are rules are often simply made up by people no smarter than us. I call these rules or bullshit rules.
0: Can you give us an example of one?
1: Well, pick a category of life.
0: Let's do teaching because we were on it before.
1: Okay. So one of the most, one of the most awful rules in teaching Mm. is that you train a child by teaching them geography and then history by going deep into subject. Jack Hidari, who is one of the, um, uh, the guys involved in Google's education project, he explained to me that the best way to teach a child is through directed learning. In other words, you don't teach a kid math or history or geography or mechanical engineering. You give them a project. Build a solar powered car. And then you let the child work backwards from that and teach themselves what they need to know. This creates incredible enthusiasm. It creates learning on the go. And the children are more likely to learn much faster. So the way we teach is also filled with often outdated rules. And the thing about human society is that even when we know it's wrong, we take ages to update something. So when when we're building up Mind Valley, we look at the rules and we create teachers who are essentially gruel busters. For example, Ben Greenfield's longevity program shows you how to develop muscle without going to the gym for three hours a week and to instead do it in 30 minutes using different techniques proven by science at universities such as McMaster University that accelerate muscle growth in tiny amounts of time relative to how most people do
0: it. I know at Mind Valley at the moment you guys have been doing a lot of work on forgiveness, and I think that's a fascinating topic. And it, it's it you know it has such an impact on people when they don't forgive and when they do forgive. Can you take us through that?
1: Absolutely. So forgiveness is one of the most powerful practices you can bring into your life. Science is showing the following, right? So Dr. Jim Hart uh, at the BioCybernaut Institute found that forgiveness increases alpha level amplitude and right-left brain coherence. Let me Mm. tell you what this means. And and I'm I'm dropping these words because I want people to understand that this is more than a meditative practice. It is rooted in science. What this means is that you're able to meditate, to go deeper, to increase your states of creativity, to keep your body more refreshed. Other studies show that forgiveness can reduce um, back pain. It can improve your heart functioning. One study showed that forgiveness, this was in Israel, they showed that forgiveness increased endurance. A study in the Netherlands showed that forgiveness improved your vertical jump. Think about that. When you practice forgiveness, you're able to jump higher. Seriously? (laughs) An Olympian basketball player contacted me after I shared that uh, to, to figure out how I could teach him forgiveness. So it actually changes your body. It gets rid of pain. It improves your heart health Mm. and it improves your level of bliss and happiness and improves your ability to go into deep levels of meditation. And so, one of the key things I do is to not hold grudges against anyone in my life.
0: How do you teach people forgiveness? So there are many
1: different ways you can teach forgiveness, right? And there are different levels of forgiveness. Um, so the style I like comes from Dave Asprey's 40 Years of Zen. Uh, this is another um, meditation type training program that uses, that uses brain science to help people go into deep states of meditation. And the technique is something like this. You think of the person or the situation that you need to forgive. And keep in mind that this could be you. You mm-hmm. may need to forgive yourself for a mistake yeah, you that's made in the past now, You see that person in front of you. And if it's yourself and the past, it's that younger version of you. You create a space. The space may be, so I once had to forgive a cruel principal who punished me publicly Mm. by making me stand in the sun in a basketball court. The space I see might be that basketball court. Mm. I see this cruel principal in front of me. And for just a minute or two, I let myself get angry and tell him, how he really, really, really hurt me. It's okay to pound the pillow. It's okay to feel that anger. You're not trying to suppress it. You bring it out. Yeah. You look at that person in their eyes. You pretend you can see their eyes and you try to see it from their point of view. You ask yourself, how did they see the world? What did their parents do to them?
0: Mm. Did
1: this guy grow up in a cruel household that he would push this cruelty onto the students in the school? Did he grow up in an ultra disciplined culture that he thinks that this level of unnecessary discipline is borderline torture is what a child needs. You try to see it from their eye and you try to see them as a child who may have been abused or or gone through some shit themselves. Remember this, hurt people, hurt people.
0: Mm. And you're releasing yourself when you forgive as well. And if anything, you just do it for you.
1: Right. And then, and then as you finish this, so now over the next two to three minutes, you just try to see it from the view and you try to end by being able to give them a hug. Now you may not be able to get there after one round, you do it again and you do it again and you do it again until at the end of that, you feel like you can give them a hug and they no longer, or the memory of what they did no longer bugs you again for really serious crime, mm-hmm. rape abuse. It could take, it could take multiple sessions, yeah. sessions, but you aim to give them a hug. Now as you go higher, in forgiveness, you start to understand a really important concept from the philosopher Neil Donald Walsh, and that is the master truly, the master never needs to forgive because the master truly understands.
0: Oh, I love that. What this,
1: what this means is that when you reach a certain point of mastery, as Neil Donald Walsh talks about in yeah. this conversation with God book series, forgiveness is no longer even in the picture because you truly understand that you and the other person are merely one.
0: Hmm. It's and so that, true.
1: And that, as Neil says in his book "Conversations with God," God has sent you nothing but angels. A really, in other words, every person, even those who harmed you, were there because of some degree of soul pact yes. that needed to happen so you could go through some suffering that you are that you were required to go through to learn.
0: Mm, I so, totally believe that. Yeah,
1: and, and, and for people who find that idea intriguing, read. The short story that Neil Donald Walsh wrote—you can find it online. Yes. Search for "the little, the little soul and the sun."
0: That's beautiful. Um, Knowing what you do now, which is obviously a lot, what would you say to your twenty-year-old self?
1: Oh, I'd say whatever you're going through, just trust it. Don't worry about your grades in college; they're not going to mean anything. Just try to pass, so you don't disappoint your dad, who's paying for all of it. <laughs> don't worry about getting the right job. You are destined to start your own thing and you're going to be fired three times. Don't worry. It's not a bad thing. Just learn from it and don't hate on anyone who fired you. Mm. They're actually giving you the ultimate blessing and trust life, meditate every day, take care of your health and get really, really, really clear on your dreams. That would be what I tell my 20 year old. stuff. that's
0: beautiful. What inspires you?
1: There's so many, so many different things. Um, I'm inspired by young kids who are looking to make a difference in the world, like Greta Thunberg, you know, who's helping remind us stupid adults that we need to do something about global warming, like Malala, who reminds people about bravery and Mm -hmm. compassion. Um, I'm really inspired by the youth of today and what they're doing to help save this world from the stupid decisions that my generation made.
0: What is a life of greatness to you?
1: It is basically two things. It is a life dedicated to self-actualization, meaning your most important thing is personal growth. If your business takes off, who gives a damn? Did you grow? If your business fails, who gives a damn? Did you grow? The number one thing is you put your growth first. You understand that you are a soul here Mm -hmm. to evolve and growth as a goal is the ultimate goal. Now, the second thing is a life of self-transcendence and self-transcendence means a life where you understand that the point of your life is not about you, rather it's about the lives you get to touch and every single life you can touch and improve. That's the goal. Yeah. So it's living a life where you are dedicated to your personal growth and you're dedicated to helping serve other people. Everything in my life fits within that context. Every business decision, every person I I interact with, every book I write, is it helping me grow? What am I learning from this practice and how is this practice serving the world? Money, fame, none of those are in the equation, although those can be good things.
0: Vision, you are truly an inspiration, and keep dreaming because everything that you're doing is just making such an effect on on this world. And I am truly grateful for that. So thank you very much. Thank you. Stay connected by following a Life of Greatness on Instagram at a Life of Greatness Podcast. For more information and to watch videos on this and other episodes, head to sarahgrimberg.com. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe, rate, and review a life of greatness on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. A Life of Greatness is a podcast One Australia production. Executive producer is me, Sarah Grimberg, audio producers, Matt Nikolich and Darcy Thompson. Special thanks to Grant Totiel for bringing this dream to life. For more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au.